Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. So we're busy with our series, Run the Race. And uh, just a quick recap on last week. Uh, last week we looked at who are your role models. And 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 14 to 16 from the Message Translation says, I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood's called uh, to shame you. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and the effort to help you grow up. It was Jesus who helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing myself. And so uh, last week was a super uh, blessed word. And uh, we asked this question, who or what are you following, admiring, honoring? Is it someone whose life is laid down for the king and his kingdom? And if it's not, you uh, should be asking uh, questions and uh, should be uh, wondering and doubting whether whether you should be following those people or following what you are following. And the rest of the, the teaching you can find online, but it was a great, great word with regards to every one of us has role models. Every one of us have people, things that we are admiring, that we are following. Whether you know it's consciously or subconsciously, it is a reality. And every one of those things, and even you yourself, are a role model to someone else, whether you know it or not. The life that you are living... Uh, we had this, uh, I believe, uh, Marcus shared this at Life Group as well. The, 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 as parents, you're already by default a role model to your children. They're looking up to you. And so there's a responsibility to that. How much of your life is echoing a life laid down for the king and his kingdom, for his purposes? And so the, the people that we spend time with, the people we spend most time with, is, are the people who are going to rub off on us the most. And so make sure those people are about the Father's business. Because if they're not, you're going to start looking like them, acting like them, living like them. And so we need to choose wisely as to who our role models are, who the people we're admiring, honoring, and following. Amen. So this morning we are looking at characteristics of an Olympic athlete. And I believe the Olympics, uh, some Olympics are coming up next year, right? I think so. Can I get a nod? Some of you following those summer Olympics? None of you, wow, goodness, uh, I'm pretty sure it's next year, next year um, in France if I'm not mistaken, but um, that's besides the point, who of you knows uh, the guy by the name of Michael Phelps, Ra raise your hand if you know uh, who Michael Phelps is, for interest's sake, raise your hand if you do not know who Michael Phelps is, interesting, okay, interesting, so uh, I'll, I'll give you some information about Michael Phelps. Uh, you can go and Google him afterwards and check out some of his videos. Um, he is known as the most successful and decorated Olympian of all time, with a total of 28 medals. 28 medals, Olympic medals. Uh, and uh, he also holds the all-time record for most uh, Olympic gold medals, and then also the most gold medals in a an individual event, meaning a, a specific Olympics in, within that, that season or that year, which is eight gold medals, um, which is a lot. Like if you uh, go and do it, um, the person who held that record was for a long time and that was seven gold medals, and then he overtook him with, uh, with eight gold medals. And um, I want to look at some of the characteristics of Michael Phelps, and then we're going to link that to the the calling of God upon our lives and the race that God has called us to run. And so some of the characteristics and just the, the, the life of Michael Phelps that led him to become the most decorated Olympian of all time is that um, his, tra his training regime, re regime looked like following. So he swam about 80 kilometers per week. Some of us might be able to do 80 kilometers running a month, uh, maybe in two months, uh, maybe in a year. And uh, so he swam about 80 kilometers a week. He went to lift weights three times a week, and he trained for about five to six hours a day, six days a week. He also trained on his birthday and Christmas day. Now, so those are just a little bit of context. Like, so obviously, if we look at someone like Michael Phelps, um, it's a profession. It's a full-time job, right? But uh, just because it's a full-time job doesn't mean it's just easy, just because it's a sport. 
Like oftentimes we look at uh, um, professional athletes and we think like, oh, that must be so much fun, like just to, to train all day. I think all of us would be like, oh man, that would be amazing. Like if I would just, if I could just train all day and get paid to train all day. I think uh, it, the, 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 that feeling and the emotions wear off quite quickly when you choose to train on your birthday, when you choose to train on specific days where other people have fun, they go out. And, and uh, I'm not even going to talk about his diet, but uh, you can imagine, I think he burned about 8,000 to 10,000 calories uh, a day. So you can imagine how much food he must be consuming to sustain and to uh, regenerate his body. But uh, a side note, and this is worth mentioning, Michael Phelps, most decorative Olympian of all time, he retired once and then he made a comeback. But after his first retirement uh, from the sport, um, he went into severe depression and he actually uh, um, thought about committing suicide. And why that's worth mentioning is because nothing you achieve in this world could ever make you happy. Nothing you ever achieve in this life can give you the satisfaction, the fulfillment, and the contentment that God created you to experience in union with Him. I'm not saying he's, Michael Phelps is an unbeliever. I don't know whether he is a believer. But even if he is a believer, there's obviously something he doesn't know. Because if he knew what he had as a, as a believer, he would not consider committing suicide. Because there's so much to live for in this earth. There's so much to accomplish. And imagine him with that kind of title, with that kind of status, how much influence he has. And so, looking at the life of Michael Phelps, I want to just jump right into Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which does cling so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of God. whole bunch that we can get into here as well this morning, but just focusing on the life of Michael Phelps. And obviously the decisions that he made, the sacrifices that he made was with a goal in mind. Right? He didn't sacrifice those things. He didn't train like he trained just for the sake of. But there was a goal in mind, the Olympics. And potentially he could have thought to himself like, I'm going to be that greatest Olympian of all time. I'm going to beat that record of so-and-so who had seven gold medals in a specific single event. And so he had a goal in mind. And each one of us, we need to ask ourselves the questions, what goal do we have in mind? Is it the goal that Jesus had in mind? What goal was that? Looking to Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross disregarding the shame, and has taken the seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had a goal in mind. Guess what that goal was? You and me. Jesus' goal has always been people, men's salvation. And when that becomes our goal, our lives will start taking shape. We'll start experiencing a satisfaction that no career could ever give you that no form of exercise would ever give you. How can I say that? Because I've been there, I've tried different things, and it doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fulfill. And if you look at the Word, and you start studying the Word, you, you kind of have a, a der moment. That's why they were called the der disciples. Because it's a, the truth of the Word is, is very plain, it's very simple. Life is very simple when we yield to and we surrender to the love of God, what He's laid down for us, what He's sacrificed for us, and we start running this race that God has set before us. Because that's what we're seeing there. There's a race that has been set before us. There's a specific way in running this race. And we're going to look at um, some of those, those things in a moment. There's a specific way to running this race. And one of those is looking to Jesus, learning from Him. How did He run this race? What were the things that He valued? What He laid down and learning from Him. But running this race while is going to require three words that is going to get all of you guys very excited, I know. The one is this discipline. 
The second one is sacrifice, and the third one is obedience. I know those are like words that always get people in grace circles excited, super excited. Discipline, sacrifice, obedience. Sarcastic get in there if you didn't pick it up. Um, but all of these all of these attributes and characteristics are those of someone like Michael Phelps. Super disciplined, super obedient, and lay down a lot, sacrificed a lot in order to achieve what he achieved. And these are all characteristics of every man or woman of faith ever worth following. These are all characteristics, discipline, obedience, and sacrifice. All characteristics of every man or woman that you find in the Bible that you've ever found following Christ. These are characteristics and attributes to their lives. So we have to ask ourselves this question. If the lives that we are living in the race that we're wanting to run, if we're wanting to make it count, we can't fool ourselves or, to, or be fooled by thinking, I do not need to live a disciplined life, sacrifice, or obey in order to do that. Because you're not going to be the first exception. You're not going to be the first exception. Coming back to Michael Phelps, no one will ever become greater or achieve the achievements that Michael Phelps achieved by sacrificing less, by being less disciplined and being less obedient than he was. That's guaranteed. You can't sidestep these things. And the Bible, and we look at a lot of scriptures this morning with regards to um, sporting analogy, and it's natural science. You cannot sidestep gravity, for example. Gravity is gravity. Gravity, the law of gravity is applicable to all. It doesn't matter how big, how small you are, it's going to affect you in some way or another. There's certain laws, for example, the law of time. We all have 24 hours a day, right? You can't sidestep that. Each one of us determines how we spend our 24 hours in a day. And so there's natural things that we need to consider and ask ourselves, am I willing to lay down what I need to lay down? Am I willing to make decisions that are in line with the goals I want to achieve in life? Because don't be fooled. If you want a six-pack and you're going to eat whatever you want to eat and don't, not train, you'll never get there. There's some sacrifice required, obedience and discipline required. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 5 says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. We are called firstly and foremostly to run strengthened by God's grace. Now, strengthened by God's grace, there's, a, there's an application to the grace of God in general, but then it's also the application to the message of grace, the gospel of Christ, and focusing on that. And that was Paul getting into here, teaching others what you've been taught yourself. So the grace of God and the message of grace, the gospel of Christ, Paul uses the terms interchangeably in Acts uh, chapter 20, I believe, where he says it's the... the, the the gospel of the grace of God. And so we need to understand that it's a specific message and that's why doctrine is vitally important for life. You can consider doctrine like diet. What you're eating is affecting your life, right? Anyone experience what you're eating affecting your life? If you eat a lot of sugar, what happens after a lot of sugar? Like you eat a little bit of a low. And uh, so whatever we're consuming, whatever we're eating, it's fuel to our body. And so whatever we're putting into our bodies, it's having an effect on our lives. Emotionally sometimes, right? Sugar has an emotional effect on our bodies, right? It, uh, you feel good after you've had some sugar. And so we need to understand that whatever we're consuming, whatever we're living on, is going to have an effect on our lives, how we're running this race. 
Michael Phelps. He had a strict diet. So within, within our context, as Christians, as believers called to run a specific race, we need to consider the diets we're having. What are we consuming on? And Paul said to Timothy, be strong in the grace of God, the message of grace, the doctrine of Christ. But then the teachings of Paul, uh, specifically also we're seeing this amazing um, in Colossians uh, and Ephesians, we see Paul addressing that there's a mystery that was hidden for generations and ages, but this mystery has been made known to the world. And this is what Paul is admonishing Timothy to pass on the message of Christ, this mystery that's been made known, which is Christ in us, the power to live transformed life. Christ in us, the enabling to run a race worth following, worth admiring, worth cheering on. We are to be obedient to share His message because He's the one who enlisted us. As He says here, for a soldier doesn't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. We've been enlisted not by ourselves, but by Christ. He called us. We responded to the call. And so he's got a specific message. It's like in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about us being ambassadors of Christ. Now, if an ambassador of the United States come to South Africa... They are to represent the United States of America. They're not to represent themselves, what they think, what their opinion is. They're commissioned to represent the sending country. And the same with us. We are ambassadors of Christ, of His message, of His ministry. Not whatever we feel like ministering, whatever we feel like sharing. He qualified us. He enlisted us. And then the word that we all also uh, enjoyed so much reading uh, verse 3, endure suffering. Endure suffering, uh, it always, you always get excited when you hear, hear the word suffering, right? I'm just sarcastic again. Um, just, you, might, you can smile, you can uh, have a little bit of a, a chuckle. There's a calling to, again, sacrifice. We see this throughout the Bible. All of the, the apostles, um, most of the apostles died as martyrs. That's suffering for what they believed in. And I know within our culture, there's not a lot of martyrdom. There's, a, there's some form of persecution, mostly emotional and all of that, but it's not physical, it's not death. But in some countries, martyrdom is a, is an, is a very thing. People dying for their faith. People dying for declaring Jesus. And we have to, at some point in our lives, ask this question, if I'm in that position, would I or would I not deny Jesus? And he's not going to deny you. That's what the word says. And even if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Guess what? You are part of Christ. You become one with him. So I can't deny my, I can't deny Etienne. I'm Etienne. You've become part of. Hence, we are called the body of Christ. That's if you said yes to Jesus. Now, that's maybe a, a teaching on its own. And uh, we might get this at some point. But we need to understand that there's an enduring for us within this life. And we have to ask ourselves, if we are ever to be put in that position, would I declare Jesus as Lord or would I kind of buckle under the, the pressure? And the degree to which we are setting our lives up, the degree to which we are running our races and the decisions we're making, consider now Michael Phelps again. Um, when you've made specific decisions within your life and you're continually making those decisions consistently time after time after time again when there's opportunity to to buckle or to 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 compromise it's the more you do it the easier it becomes to not compromise to push through that's the amazing thing of persisting and enduring the more you do it, the easier it becomes. So if you've sacrificed once, it becomes easier to do it again and again and again. And then before you know it, it's part of your nature. It's part of your DNA. And so for us, within this race that we're running, I want to encourage each one of you. Maybe you're not running well at all. Maybe you, 
you're one of those people who you just feel like you're far behind and it's hopeless and why are you still on the field, like just kind of retire. I encourage you, don't listen to the voice of the devil. While you're breathing, you've got a calling, you've got a purpose, you've got a destiny, you've got a race to run. And as soon as you just start choosing to obey, to sacrifice little by little, and putting disciplines into your life, before you know it, you'll become a super athlete, an Olympian athlete that doesn't need to go through all of the training and the things that Michael Phelps went through because every opportunity you have, every person you come into contact with either knows more than you of who Christ is or they know less of you. And those are both opportunities. I'm going to say that again. Every person you'll ever meet either knows more of Christ about, or more uh, about Christ and having a deeper revelation about who Christ is than you or they know less. Both is an opportunity. One is to grow and receive from them. The other is to give to that person who knows less to you, uh, than you. That's called discipleship. Receiving from and then giving to you. That is what we are called to. That is how we're going to reach this world. It's not through getting people converted and then kind of telling them, go and figure it out by yourself. But doing life together, receiving from one another and then giving to others as we have received. Hence, Jesus saying, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Because there's a blessing in giving. Not just financially, but giving the word. Giving Jesus to people. There's such a blessing when you step into that moment and you're sharing Christ with someone. And the lights go on and they say, yes, Lord. It's an awesome moment. And uh, I want to encourage you guys, you'll never experience that unless you purpose in your heart that you want to engage with that, that you want to be part of what God desires in this earth. Men's salvations and men growing in understanding of who God is. Then uh, this phrase and this, uh, this concept of a soldier doesn't get tied down in civilian life. Uh, we'll look at another scripture from Philippians right now. But it's an it's amazing metaphor. Of, if you look at, uh, again, soldiers or uh, people going to war, again, they, they've been, been enlisted for a specific purpose. And probably the, the, the U.S. Army is, I think, the, the, the greatest example that all of us have experienced because of movies and uh, all of that and because of their camaraderie. And uh, they're quite outspoken about, um, obviously, uh, honoring soldiers of war and etc. But you see the sacrifice, this, this laying down of lives for a greater good. Right? For, um, what is it? What's their, what's their phrase? The Americans, the soldiers. Um, what's their phrase? It's on the bull as well. Any American lovers here? I know there's a few. You're shy now. Um, no, it's a, so there's a, there's a laying down of, there's a sacrifice when it comes to war because it's not about you laying down your life for the greater good. Even with, uh, you hear many stories of, of, and we looked at this in the series as well, of people laying down their lives and by them doing so, it gave opportunity for the second wave and the third wave to actually take ground and actually achieve victory. And so within the Christian life, and that is Paul's encouragement here, is unless we become sacrificial in how we're running this race called life, we'll never achieve the goals that God has set before us. We'll never be the people that others look to and say like, man, I want to run my race like that. Man, I, I want to do life like that. And that's an invitation for all of us. It doesn't mean that you need to look like me or Shane or, or your favorite uh, um, online teacher that you're following. But there's a, there's a sphere of influence that you have right now. It might just be one person. But that one person is enough. And that's, the, that's I think, the, oftentimes the challenge within the, the Christian walkers. We look at the world and we look at the, the, the bigger picture and we can get overwhelmed and paralyzed to think that, man, what point is it going to make for me? But for that person, it's going to matter. For that one person, it matters. And so let's not despise the one person because we're looking at the bigger picture. Start with the one. Be faithful with the one. And before you know it, that one could also potentially be someone who becomes a, a mass uh, evangelist or whatever, or missionary, and, and you are part of their life. You are part of the harvest that they're going to be harvesting because you are faithful to minister to them. 
Philippians chapter 3, 18 to 19 says, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. And so oftentimes we think people who are enemies of the cross are just unbelievers and uh, people who are uh, atheists, specifically coming against Christ and who Jesus is and fighting against that. And yes, that is part of it. But here is an interesting elaboration, description of what an enemy of the cross is. In verse 19 says, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Who, who have you ever been led by your belly? Now I'm not talking physically where your belly is like going ahead of you and leading you always. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about like making decisions based on what your stomach is telling you, what your flesh is telling you. That is what, what the, the, the instruction is here. So all of us have been there. So, so there's a specific message that he's portraying here, whose end is their, or whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, and who mind earthly things. Again, minding earthly things. Who of you have ever minded earthly things more than you mind heavenly things? My hand is raised. Good. Thanks for your honesty. And um, so there's, when we're minding earthly things, we cannot advance the message of the cross. Then we become enemies of the cross. We're opposing that which Christ desires. For men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. So when we're running this race and we at times minding earthly things, we are, we are hindering ourselves of running effectively. And we're leading and being a bad example to those who are following us. So we need to understand that being enemies of the cross isn't just the extreme. The, the people are living in sin, the people are murdering, all of those extreme things that we think about. But being an enemy of the cross also just boils down to being carnally minded. Being led by your emotions. Being led by circumstances. Minding earthly things. And again, there's, there's not a need for us to feel unworthy or to feel condemned, but allow yourself to be liberated. Because as we're looking at the Word and looking at this race that we've been called to and what it means to be an Olymp Olympian athlete, so to speak, within the, uh, the kingdom of God, there's truths that we need to receive and, and uh, ways that we can respond to this word that we'll get into um, at the end of the message. But let's not feel condemned and then shut off and not receive any more of the message. But be encouraged that as we're receiving truth, we can experience freedom. As we're embracing truth, we can experience freedom. Because it's only the truth that you embrace that can set you free. Because that is the knowing that we see in John chapter 8 verse 32 that it's talking about. Because all of us are hearing the same truth here this morning. But not all of us will experience the same degree of freedom after we walk out of here. Why is that? Because every one of us, our responses to this message would look different. And so there's a response for us every time we come to the Word, every time we're in a gathering. There's always a response to the Word, what we're seeing in the Word that we are called to. And if we're not making a response, we cannot grow. We cannot mature. The same with my two sons, Chris and uh, Michael, who've left because uh, they've been a little bit difficult this morning. Not difficult. Um, what's the politically correct word? Uh, challenging children. They're just children. They're just children. Um, shame. They're, they're amazing. They're awesome. And uh, so... So for them to mature in life, there's, there's things that they need to respond to. Michael is growing up and maturing as, he res as he's responding even to the things that Chris is doing and how Chris is doing it. And then he's mimic mimicking it. And he's, uh, he's, he's copying Chris. And then he's growing and he's maturing. And he's learning what he can do and what he can't do yet. And so for us as well, within the body of Christ, there's, there's looking to different people and having people that are role models that we are following, that we're doing life with, we're learning from. And by doing so, guess what happens? Maturing. But there is a response required. Now, an interesting thing that we also get into here, uh, that, that Paul says, there's specific rules that we need to run by. Because like any race, swimming, for example, with Michael Phelps, he's a swimmer, a swimmer for those of you who didn't know. Um, so he was a swimmer, and, and within that context, like swimming has got specific rules, specific things that you need to take note of. 
Um, and uh, if you don't take note of those things, again, like Michael Phelps, he would have never accomplished the things that he accomplished if he didn't take note of the, the, the rules of swimming and the rules of uh, all of the, the races that he competed in. And uh, when we're talking about rules and the race that we've been uh, called to run, I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments, uh, which some of you probably thought about. Um, but let's get into 1 Corinthians chapter 9 quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. We'll read from verse 19 to 25. Uh, we'll jump into some of the verses. We'll look at uh, other translations as well. Uh, the re New Revised Standard Version. Um, primarily, we look at that from this, uh, this passage. And it says, For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all. Now, none of us obviously like that word, uh, being made a slave to all. Now, being made a slave by someone else is wrong. It's illegal, actually. But choosing to become a slave is a different story. Right? Being made a slave is wrong. And God opposes that, and it was never God's uh, intention for, for this earth. But choosing to be a slave and becoming a slave is a different story. It's again, it's a matter of sacrifice. And what is the purpose? And what Paul explains the purpose to, to the church. And he says, I've made myself a slave to all so that in order that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as the one, ones outside of the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I be, I've become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I might share in its blessing. Now, so becoming a slave and sacrificing... We see clearly here uh, there was one goal in mind, winning souls. And so when our sacrifice is not motivated by love for people and winning souls, it is futile. Because a lot of people are sacrificing things, but it's got nothing to do with winning men's souls. Oftentimes people sacrifice to make a romantic gesture. That is futile. It means nothing. You might win a lady's heart over or a gent's heart over, but that doesn't count in light of eternity because there's no marriages in heaven. That's a different story. Let's, let's, let, let's just camp there for a moment. Oftentimes, we, again, we, there's a blessing in marriage and it's a gift from God, but like a lot of things that are a gift from God, God's children start to idolize that which has been a gift and we forget about the giver of the gift. And we run after the golden eggs and we forget about the goose. God won't mind calling, referencing to him as the, the goose and the gifts, the golden eggs. But when we, when we start shifting our priorities and we start becoming distracted by the blessings and the gifts of God, we start becoming carnal and being led by emotions and we become... Uh, more earthly minded and then we can't run the race that God has set before us. So Paul's declaration here of becoming a slave to all was always and throughout these, these uh, descriptions is to win some or to, 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 to uh, get some to come to know Christ. Becoming all things to all people. Verse 23 from the Passion Translation says, I've done all this so that I would become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. I've done all this so I've become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. This is beautiful because what this partnership is again echoing is God could have done what He wants to do in this earth many other ways, but He chose to do it through you and me. And some of you might be like, oh, that's such a burden. You don't understand the nature, the heart of God because it's a privilege to be a partner to the King of Kings. It's a privilege to, to again, like there, there's nothing that has given me as much joy and satisfaction as in moments where I share the gospel with someone, I share Jesus with someone, and I can see them opening up their heart more and more to the love of God to the point where they say, I believe. 
Nothing comes close to that. My marriage was amazing, and Catherine would appreciate this as well. Like standing at the pulpit and saying yes to her, that was amazing. That was awesome. Having kids, it's amazing. It's awesome. But nothing compares to the partnership with God in making His dream a reality on earth for men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. And you might think that, oh, that's a little bit cliche. That's fine, you can think that. But that has been my experience, and that is what we're seeing in the Word here. And again, any, any man or woman of faith ever worth following have had these things in their lives where the race that they are running, they're dedicated to, they're dedicated to it. it. It's a life of sacrifice, a life of obedience, and a life of discipline. Verse 24, continuing on, and then a New Standard Revised Version says, Do you not know that in a race runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things they do. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So again, the, the picture here and the analogy of running a race, and there are certain rules. There's ways to run. And ultimately, as we see in the life of Michael Phelps, and after retirement, wanting to, uh, uh, or contemplating committing suicide, the wreath that he won, the 28 medals, eight gold medals in one event, it's perishable. It cannot bring you joy. It cannot bring you satisfaction. And so I want to challenge you here, even this morning, the goals that you've set for your life, how much value, how much of your worth, how much of your identity is linked to those things? Because if it's not Jesus and men's souls, it is perishable. And it will not give you what you think it is going to give you. I'm, I'm, I'm prophesying right now. And it's not a pro prophetic in a sense of like, it's just obvious. It's just common sense according to the Bible, according to the instruction of the Word. Whatever you're running for right now in your life, if it's not Jesus looking to Him and what He said before us, it is perishable. And it will not give you what you think it's going to give you. Whether it's marriage, whether it's having children, whether it's a promotion at work, whatever it is. Seek first the kingdom of God. What is that? Seeking Jesus. Seeking to run like He ran. Seeking to run like the apostles ran. Seeking to run like the women of faith that we see in the body of Christ today. Running like that. Learning from one another. Drawing from one another. Because ultimately, the prize we have, Christ in us, is imperishable. But God's desire is for not you only to experience that, but for every person that you know to also experience that. Verse 25 says, And every man that strives for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible one. Again, like I said, Phelps planned his whole life around becoming the best Olympian athlete of all time. It's obvious in his planning and his decisions that he made, the sacrifices, the discipline. His whole life was planned around that. How much of our lives are planned around becoming the sons or daughters God created us to be who will get the well-done, good and faithful steward? Think about that for a, moment, for a moment. How much of your life is planned to run this race. Like for example, Michael Phelps planned his life to run that race of becoming the greatest Olympian of all time. We need to make it practical. We need to bring it home. Because if we don't bring it home, if we don't make it practical, if we don't ask ourselves the questions that are difficult to ask, we will remain in the state that we are today. We cannot grow and move forward. Our lives echoing that of Peter and John recorded in Acts chapter 4. When we read Acts 4 verse 13, and we see a specific, uh, um, an awesome illustration of the lives of Peter and John, for example, recorded here for us. Acts 4 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned, ignorant men, any of you here feel unlearned and ignorant? 
within the knowing Christ and the things of the Word. And I'm sure some of you feel maybe like that. They were unlearned, ignorant men. And this was now in reference to the scholars of the day. They were people of that time, people that are uh, expressing this and that were more learned, more knowledgeable about the Scriptures than that of Peter and John. But they marveled and they took knowledge of them. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. These people recognized that these men had been with Jesus. They sat on his teaching. They've received from Jesus. They spent time with him. And get, guess what was the result? Boldness. Boldness to speak forth. Boldness to share truth with clarity. To minister with power, with authority. Not because of everything that they knew, but because of the one thing they knew. Jesus. Paul himself said this, I made it my mission, my goal, to forget about everything. But know one thing, and that is Christ and Him crucified. We don't need to know a whole lot. We just need to know Jesus. And come to know Him. Enjoy fellowship with Him. Communion with Him. Verse 26 and 7 says, For that reason I don't just run for exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches. But I train like a champion athlete. I subdue my body and get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself won't be disqualified. Now, this is a very interesting statement by Paul as well. It's this picture of disqualification. It's not, again, what uh, some of you might be thinking or some of you might be taught. But let's come back to, again, this Paul is echoing a life of discipline, a life of sacrifice, a life of obedience. So again, don't think that you'll run your race well and get to the end and get a well-done, good and faithful steward if you're not willing to work these attributes and characteristics in your life, that of discipline, sacrifice, and obedience. We cannot. Don't be fooled. Again, the practical illustration of if you want a specific kind of look with your body, specific muscles and uh, dropping of weight or whatever, you cannot get there by just a wishing and a hoping. All of you with me? Because all of us have been there where you were wishing and hoping and nothing happened. (laughs) And then some of us were there where it was not just a wishing and hoping and you actually were disciplined and you set certain things in place and you obeyed. And guess what? There were results. And so within the race that we are running, we cannot just be a wishing and a hoping that because I'm a child of God, I'm filled with His Spirit, I'm just going to be this amazing believer and I'm going to accomplish these amazing things and it's just going to be awesome. Let's not be naive because that is not what the Word teaches us. I subdue my body, get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself won't be disqualified. Because as long as you're running this race, it doesn't matter how much you've achieved. It doesn't matter how well you've run. Don't become proud and arrogant. Judging others for failing after running. Or falling out of the race. Because we see this today, more than we've probably seen it in the history of the church. Where men and women who've run well fall out of the race. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not saved anymore. It doesn't mean that there's not grace for them. But their ministry is completely disqualified. Their influence has been lost. And so let's not fall into that trap. Let's continue running this race well. We're coming to a close. Um, Next chapter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, jumping uh, into verse 23 to 27, it says, All things are lawful. Again, he's echoing the same... The same message, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience, for the earth and its fullness are the Lord's. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. Uh, this is funny. This is a, um, a scripture that we often share on mission trips as well. 
And uh, the, the, the encouragement is this, or the, the, the challenge is this, eat whatever is set before you. And I've heard uh, some intense stories. I haven't uh, experienced so much uh, intensity of uh, this, this invitation. And what does this all boil down to? It's again, it's not, it's not rigid in the instruction itself, but again, in what is the overall message, which is not seeking your own advantage and seeking opportunity to that which you do to be an opportunity of opening up the door for someone else to receive Christ. And so again, as in the previous uh, passage of Scripture, let's jump down to verse 31 quickly. And uh, verse uh, chapter 9, chapter 10, Paul is echoing the same message. Verse 31, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jew or to the Greek to, or the, to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone and everything, I do not seek my own advantage but that of many, so that I or they might be saved. So in this life, yes, you've got freedom. Yes, God is not holding anything against you. But let's not do life and run this race so self-centeredly that you do not consider the consequences and the effect your decisions are having on the people around you. I'm not going to use specific examples, but Paul has given us clear indications here of the food you're eating or what you're not eating or what you're doing or what you are doing. Let whatever you are doing not be for self-centered motives and self-centered reasons. But if there's an opportunity for you to do something differently in a specific setting and that doing it differently is opening up a door for someone else to receive the gospel from you, then let's do that. Let's sacrifice. Because that is what it means to do everything to the glory of God. It's making every decision and how you're living to the glory of God. How do we give God glory? By acting in accordance with His will, which is the salvations of men and men and women coming to the knowledge of the truth. Last passage, Luke chapter, chapter 9, verse 57. To 60, 62. As they were going along the road, and this is a challenging passage of Scripture, so if you haven't been challenged yet, then uh, here you go. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, maybe take some time on another occasion to kind of break all of this down really, really beautifully. But I'll just kind of focus in on specific things in light of what we are talking about now, running this race uh, like champion athletes and like an uh, Olympian athlete as well, says, firstly, following Jesus is not about what you can get from Him, but what He did for you. That's what Jesus is saying here by the illustration of the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay His head. So don't make following Jesus and becoming a child of God about what He's going to give to you. Because Bill Gates doesn't need anything from you. Elon Musk doesn't need anything from you. They've got all of the wealth and the, 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 the material possession in the world. So let's not make the gospel something it's not. Let's not make following Christ and being a believer about what He's going to give to us physically because He's given something to you spiritually that should be enough for you to live a satisfied, content, fulfilled life. I thought it would go over like that. Following Jesus is not a matter of convenience, but of urgency. Let me say it quickly. A good word is a challenging word. And like I said, I'm not preaching at you, I'm ministering to us. 
And as you are being challenged, I too am being challenged and have a response to the word that is being shared this morning. Following Jesus is not a matter of convenience, but of urgency. These are the things that we're getting from this passage in Luke chapter 9. There's a lot more, but I want to focus on these things. So, firstly, following Jesus is not about what you can get from Him, but what He did for you. Following Jesus is not a matter of convenience, but of urgency. Then following Jesus is not for the faint-hearted or lazy. It's a call to surrender and lay down your life. I'm going to say that again. Following Jesus is not for the faint-hearted or lazy. It's a call to surrender and lay down your life. Again, just with regards to that, the, the example of Michael Phelps, I think it's obvious to say that he was not a lazy man. He was dedicated, committed to that goal. And so, when we're talking about following Christ and being a believer, nowhere in the Bible, in the Word, do we see men and women of faith worth following that were lazy or just faint-hearted. And so, yes, maybe we're focusing on now looking at these characteristics and looking at um, the disciplines and the obedience and the sacrifice. And maybe you're wondering here this morning, but that just seems way off. Like, how am I going to get there? It's a good question. You're going to get there by taking one step. You're not going to get there by trying to be like whoever you're thinking about right now. You're going to get there by focusing on where you are right now and making the first step into more of what God is inviting you into. It's one step at a time. That is how you win a race. You don't win a race by going from zero to 120. It doesn't happen. It's one step at a time. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca